the El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. All right, my friends. Back at you one more time. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on KLUP 930 AM, The Answer. Uh, Well, let's move into this whole issue of immigration uh, and the wall, and whether or not there's a crisis going on at the at, at the border, my friends, it's uh, it's incredible to even be discussing this issue. Um, we've got uh, here in San Antonio, we've got um, uh, Congressman Democrat Congressman Joaquin Castro, who is really really off the rails. Uh, I've got to remind you, folks, that Castro, this uh, Joaquin Castro and his brother Julian, uh, who used to be the mayor. Uh, they're the twins that were raised by their mother, who was a devout Raza Unida, national Raza Unida, uh, devout follower. Um, she was uh, a single mother. She raised them. Kudos to her for that. But unfortunately, she influenced them with this uh, with this ethnic nationalism, with this Raza, la Raza Unida point of view. Uh, she also was very, very critical of uh, the Alamo defender, defenders and the Tex- and Texas history. She feels she is one of the ones that feels that uh, the Texas history uh, is all about uh, a gringo takeover, as she would put it, or as they would say, a gringo takeover. That means uh, it was uh, it was a, 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 a uh, the whole Texas Revolution and independence was a result of white racism against Mexicans, which is, uh, you know, far, so far from the truth. It's not even funny. At any rate, um, now that President uh, uh, Trump has declared a national emergency regarding the U.S. border and the wall, uh, Democrats uh, are outraged, absolutely outraged, as we've seen. And San Antonio Democrat Congressman Joaquin Castro is leading the charge uh, he uh, has introduced a provision with the help of, guess who, Socialist New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who has uh, all the uh, knowledge, uh, uh, all, all the all the knowledge of Texas history of a gadfly. Uh, at any rate, uh, they've introduced um, legislation under the National Emergencies Act uh, that says that the state uh, of emergency that um, has been declared can be ended with a joint resolution by members of Congress. Uh, Trump announced the emergency declaration last Friday, uh, February the 15th. Uh, but Castro, who is the chairman of the uh, Congressional Hispanic Caucus, um, has already begun gathering um, opposition, or had been gathering opposition, had started uh, gathering opposition the day before, uh, on the 14th. He introduced a resolution on Thursday uh, evening and by Friday evening, that 15th, uh, when uh, the president had um, declared the emergency, he had over 70 members of Congress that had signed on. You know, now, any, if, if a member of Congress is signing on to this uh, opposition uh, legislation to the, to the wall, what they, in essence, are saying that the wall is uh, not needed, that uh, the crisis is fabricated, and, um, I mean, in my opinion— they are leaving the the uh, the southern border open to invasion. That's what they're doing. Castro classified. Castro classified the. Um, uh, he's justified, rather. He's justified his action by saying that historically, uh, this is what he's saying. Historically, presidents have declared national emergencies for urgent matters of national security. You know, he says that President Trump's declaration was an emergency based on unfounded, all right, get this, that it's based on unfounded hype rather than on substantive national emergency, on substantive uh, data. I, you know, I, I don't know what planet he lives on, him and Beto O'Rourke and all the rest of them, who claim that there is no problem on the border. 
I, I just, I, I'm amazed. I would like to have them dropped into into Mexico, into one of these caravans, and let them, you know, wander along with these people and see how they are victimized as well as how they are manipulated into coming into the United States illegally and under false pretext. That's that's what I'd like to see. Uh, many Americans, you know, find it hard to believe that Castro and many other high-ranking national Democrats deny that there is an illegal immigration and a border crime crisis. They deny it. We're, I mean, I have, I and many of my, my cohorts have a hard time believing it. Equally stunning, my friends, are their efforts to abolish and limit the authority of ICE and other immigration law enforcement agents. That's, you know, one thing is to deny that there's a problem. But another thing is to restrict the law enforcement effort, because to me, that verifies to me that you're you're undermining America's effort to protect the borders. That's what to me, that's what you're telling me. That's what is happening. That is what is happening. You are undermining America's efforts. That is like saying, okay, uh, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. But, uh, you know, we believe that it's not uh, it's not their fault. They really didn't mean it. And uh, in order for, uh, you know, to prevent an overreaction, we're going to limit the the military response. That's what it that's what this is. You know, but this shouldn't surprise you. Remember how the Democrats limited it, limited the uh, military responses in uh, in Korea and in Vietnam. Remember that? Remember that? How they did how they. You know, uh, uh, how they just limited, uh, uh, had American forces fighting with one, one, one arm tied behind their backs. Well, this is, the whole, this is the same situation. It is the same situation. Uh, it, it appears, it just appears to me, my friends, that Castro and his Democrat friends would rather side with lawbreakers, because that's what these illegal aliens are. They would side with lawbreakers instead of supporting the law and the Constitution, which I assume he raised his hand and swore to do. Voters in Castro's district, my friends, they should recognize that he is undermining the Constitution, that he is undermining America's America's ability to defend its its uh, its border, and they need to vote him out. They need to vote him out. It's that simple. Castro and his fellow Democrats, they don't want to change America. They want to undermine it. That's what they want to do. They don't want to change it. They want, they, I think they want to undermine it and destroy it, my friends. Also, to further emphasize this situation, last um, Monday, February 18th, uh, this national leftist organization, Move On, MoveOn.org is what most people call it, but Move On, they organized nationwide protests, uh, including one here in San Antonio. Uh, one of the uh, leftist liberal newspapers here claimed, uh, or, or uh, media outlets claimed that there were about 100 people that were gathered uh, at a park here in San Antonio uh, to protest President Trump's uh, declaration of a national emergency and to access funds to build a wall. Uh, they claimed there was about 100. Another Another uh, media outlet claimed that there were only about 25. Um, so I, I did not attend, so I'm not exactly sure. But the protest in San Antonio included the illustrious Joaquin Castro once again, the Democrat, uh, the twin with, with one half brain, uh, because his twin brother has the other half of the brain. And it also included uh, Gina Ortiz Jones, who is another Democrat uh, who ran for Congress. Uh, in uh, in uh, in Texas, uh, you know, Castro boasted he boasted that he's put together this bill that we have just described a little while ago that was drafted last week to terminate the president's de- declaration and to uh, and that it, it's got the support of 70 uh, congressional members. He boasted about that, my friends. He boasted. It's like saying that he is very, very happy. He's boasting that he is limiting America's ability to to protect the border and to defend itself. I mean, that's what he's saying. It's incredible that so many members of Congress, you know, who have sworn to defend the Constitution and and, and the nation would oppose the effort to secure the border and protect American citizens. 
What about those citizens that have been victimized by illegal aliens? What about those? What about those folks? What about the folks who have got to compete with illegal aliens who depress the wages? What about those? Okay. What about the illegal aliens that come into our uh, schools, our public schools, and we have to educate them? What about the uh, illegal aliens like, that, like the ones that we reported last week that file income tax returns and take out much more money than they put in? What about the illegal aliens that go to emergency rooms and get top quality medical attention, medical services, and never, never pay a dime? You know, somebody, when they tell me, well, the illegal aliens, they do pay into the system. They don't pay enough. I got news for you. You cannot tell me that they pay enough. And when some leftist uh, think tank says they do, they're lying. They're lying. You cannot tell me that somebody with a stolen, and again, they steal a, a, a social security number. How is that justified? How is that justified? It's incredible. Again, my friends, it's incredible. What also is incredible, and let me finish with this. What else also is incredible is how the local media, the local media covers and reports these leftist protests and ignore comments from conservatives. I can tell you right here in San Antonio, we conservatives were, you know, I, I don't know of anybody that was called and asked to provide a, uh, a comment about this, these or protests. You know, these local or these local uh, media outlets, whether they are TV or newspapers, they follow the lead of the national ones. And again, it's shameful, it's sad, and it's biased. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP, 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. You are invited to George's next speaking engagements. Tuesday, March 5th at 6.30 p.m., the Harlingen Tea Party at Harlingen Public Library, 410 North 7th Street in Harlingen. Wednesday, March 6th at noon at the Brownsville GOP Club at 3154 Central Boulevard in Brownsville. Monday, March 11th at 6.30 p.m. at the North Hayes County Republican Group at 230 Sports Park Road in Dripping Springs. And Wednesday, March 13th at noon at the Yoakum Area Republican Women's Club at the Yoakum Library in Yoakum. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, Please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And uh, in the midst of a lot of doom and gloom that we've been watching with regards to the border and the fight against uh, the president and the efforts to uh, secure the border and to uh, stop illegal immigration, as well as the attempts to stop voter verification, voter ID, and many, many other things that we've got going on. The attacks on anybody that's wearing a MAGA hat. Um, in, uh, in spite of all that, my friends, there's still some silver linings out there. And one of them occurred uh, last week here in San Antonio uh, regarding a special election. Uh, we call it, we said, uh, you know, that there are some, uh, that it was a, another local blow to uh, Hispanic Democrats here in San Antonio because um, the election was a special election for a house, for a state house seat, and it was run by a, by a Republican. Uh, last um, election, uh, the, uh, the special election, should I say, the special election last Tuesday 
uh, February 12th, uh, it, it reflected a, it was the latest in, in a, in a kind of troubling track record that Democrats in San Antonio are starting to worry about, particularly Hispanic Democrats. Uh, Republican Fred Rangel, uh, took 38% of the vote by beating out, uh, four Democrats who were in the race for a Texas house district race, uh, district, uh, election uh, in district uh, House District 125. Now, uh, Rangel will now face in a runoff, he'll, he'll face Democrat uh, uh, Ray Lopez, who is a former San Antonio City Councilman, uh, in a runoff uh, in this very, very heavy Hispanic uh, district. The uh, Texas Democratic Party, uh, though, they're, they're still confident and they feel that they can keep the seat uh, after the runoff, because 60% of the total votes that were cast last Tuesday went uh, to Democrat candidates. However, the Republicans' uh, real strong performance is the latest in a trend that has these Democrats quite worried, particularly in the Hispanic neighborhoods. Rangel, the Republican, uh, was publicly endorsed by two top-level Texas Republicans, uh, Governor um, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, and uh, U.S. Uh, Senator from Texas, uh, John Cornyn. The high-level GOP support uh, it was very, very similar to Pete Flores uh, from P- Pleasanton, another, another Republican who won a Senate, a Texas state Senate seat last year in a runoff uh, of a special election. So uh, Rangel uh, is the second Republican to, uh, to get into a, to show a strong uh, uh, showing in, in, in his campaign. Um, you know, it, it, many feel that the state uh, GOP uh, support for South Texas candidates uh, was lacking in the past because uh, former Texas House Speaker Joe Strauss, uh, who was the third most powerful uh, Republican in the state, he um, he didn't allow. He was he he would uh, he he would uh, he was very cold. Uh, some people would say antagonistic towards Republicans coming in to campaign in South Texas. Why? Because Strauss was elected Speaker of the Texas House again, the third most powerful, uh, the third most powerful. Um, because Strauss did not want to rock the boat. He had been elected, like I said, with uh, 100% of the uh, Democrats voting for him, who, who were all uh, in, in South Texas. I mean, that, South Texas did not have one, uh, his, one Republican uh, in, uh, in, in the state house, not one. And so uh, he needed to keep them on his side because he did not side with, uh, he kept offending the uh, Republican conservatives who kept uh, you know voting against him so therefore if he wanted to um, to win he had to win with the democrats and uh, and his liberal moderate rhino republicans and that's why he refused to uh, i mean he was very powerful very very wealthy lots of uh, of of uh, lobbyist donors he had tons of money and he uh, had a, a you know in my opinion a very strong uh, stranglehold on uh, South Texas politics. Well, he's gone. He has been defeated. He is gone. And now what we've got is uh, wide open territory for uh, for Republicans to come in and uh, preach the uh, preach the gospel of freedom uh, and liberty, of economic freedom and liberty, of political uh, freedom and liberty. And uh, I think it's uh, it's starting to show. I think that there are cracks in the uh, in 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 the uh, 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 in the democratic stronghold, um, you know the problems. The problem continues to be though is, is the voter turnout. Um, since with Strauss gone, it is a new day, and, that, and that's the good news. The bad news is that we still have very low uh, turnout, uh, voter turnout. Overall, there were uh, six thousand, a little over six thousand votes that were cast. Uh, you know, total in this uh, in this election, which accounted for, get this, 5.4% turnout. 5.4% of the registered voters voted in the special election. 5.4%. The voter turnout 
in runoffs is is uh, is usually even worse. So uh, you know, it's uh, I'm not sure how many people are going to turn out. So the challenge to Ran- to Ra- Rangel to Rangel and and to uh, you know to the Democrats as well to to Rangel, it's going to be to get the Republicans and the conservatives to get to the polls, get them to the polls. That's going to be the challenge for Lopez. The Democrat, the problem is going to be that he hope that, that he can consolidate the Democrats uh, who uh, who ran against him uh, to get their uh, to get their votes uh, on his side, and maybe you know then uh, they can support him and he can win. But that's going to be a challenge for them. And then on top of that, to get people to the polls, so he's got two two obstacles, in my opinion, to overcome: citizens and voters in D in House uh, District Twenty Five. They should remember one thing about the Democrat uh, Lopez and how he behaved like a local dictator when he was on the San Antonio City Council, particularly in the issue of renaming old Highway 90. As his final act on the City Council, Lopez pushed an ordinance. Are you ready for this? Typical Democrat, typical uh, political boss Democrat. He pushed an ordinance through the city council placing a five-year moratorium to prohibit the citizens from petitioning to restore the name of Old Highway 90. Now, let me explain what all of that means. Old Highway 90 is a historic street, a historic boulevard in uh, San Antonio's west side. Like the name says, it is a historical part of of uh, Texas, uh, of Texas and San Antonio, because it led the way. It it was the the road that led west to El Paso, to Del Rio, uh, all the way to Los Angeles. It was old Highway 90, and Highway 90 uh, uh, st- starts out in, in in Florida and goes all the way through uh, San Antonio and then on on west. Well. The name of the street was Old Highway 90 in, 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 in honor of its historical designation. Along comes uh, Ray Lopez, the Democrat on city council, and he decides that he's going to do a favor. He decides he's going to do a favor to uh, his, uh, his uh, uh, lobbyist constituents, friends, whatever, donors, He's going to do them a favor, and he is going to declare, uh, he's going to change the name of Old Highway 90. And he, he was going to, to and, and in order to do that, he needed to jump through a couple of hoops, which the city uh, did very gladly, cut some corners, did some, you know, they, they were supposed to do a, um, a, uh, uh, a survey of the businesses, of the residents, all of that supposedly was done, but uh, didn't seem to be, didn't seem to be. And suddenly they had uh, the, um, the petition and the ordinance ready to go, and it happened. And they changed the name of Old Highway 90. Well, he had a lot of opposition. He had a lot of opposition to changing the name of, of Old Highway 90. And those opponents were very, very loud, and they were very, very resourceful. And he did not like being challenged. Typical of a Democrat uh, dictator. He didn't like to be challenged. So um, uh, on his way out on the last day, he decided that he would put a moratorium, that the city would pass a moratorium, city council, to prohibit the citizens from petitioning to restore the name after he was gone. In other words, he, he limited their, their, their ability to petition and, uh, you know, as per, as per, per uh, the, uh, the Constitution. He prohibited, he stopped and limited the right of citizens to petition their government. Imagine that. Imagine that. His ordinance was an extreme overreach of the city government, and it abridged the power of the citizens' rights to petition the government to redress their grievances. Apparently, the Bill of Rights doesn't, doesn't matter to this guy. And he is running for Demo- as the Democrat for uh, Texas House District 125. Imagine, my friends, imagine. Imagine if he did that on the city council, what's he going to do in the state house? Imagine. My friends, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Let me leave you with this thought that the defense of freedom and liberty, my friends, 
the defense of freedom and liberty, it starts in your backyard. It starts at City Hall. It starts in your precinct. It starts in your district. If you are waiting for Congress in Washington, D.C., as we are right now, to do something to protect you or to stop limiting your, your, uh, uh, your freedoms and liberties as the Green Plan wants to do, it's too late. You stop government in its tracks at the local level. That's, where the, that's how the Constitution was designed, so that we would stop it at the local level. That's what we need to do. We need to get involved at the local level. We need to stop the, the dictatorships at the local level. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP 930 AM, The Answer. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Hello to all my friends here uh, via KLUP 930 AM, The Answer. And I um, want to give a big shout out to all of my buddies uh, who listen to me um, via the podcast or the network uh, around the country, up in New York and in L.A. and uh, in Houston and uh, all these other places. Thank you very much for listening in, folks. Up in Ohio, my, my sister, uh, my elderly sister Hilda and my niece uh, Barbara and Beverly are very, very devout <laughs> listeners. So I want to give a big shout to them. Uh, at any rate, okay, so let's start. Let's start today's program, my parents. Um, with some national news, because, I mean, I find this this news to have been very, very disturbing and very, very disgusting. It has to do with the treason and the attempted coup against President Trump uh, that we learned about. Uh, as many of you know, last um, week, uh, last uh, Saturday or Sunday, rather, the uh, CBS uh, 60 Minutes had a, uh, a special program or a special uh, interview with um, former uh, FBI director, Andrew McCabe, and uh, in the process, he admitted that um, there had been, uh, or he claimed, he admitted, he claimed, whatever way you want to spin it, that uh, the at the Justice Department there were some high arc, some high uh, ranking discussions regarding the use of the Twenty Fifth Amendment to remove President Trump from office. That Twenty Fifth Amendment, of course, is the one that has to do with uh, the uh, capacity, the uh, whether or not the the individual in office uh, is competent to uh, to uh, uh, serve as president, uh, whether they're mentally disturbed or whether they've had a stroke or or something of the nature, but um, it's it should be considered a planned coup d'état. That's what it was. You know, it, Alan Dershowitz, the uh, Harvard professor who is on Fox News quite a bit. Uh, uh, that's what what he he detailed or he he described it as he described it as nothing less than a coup d'état that was being planned, uh, and, and this came, my friends, you know that uh, revelation came on February the fourteenth, two days earlier on the twelfth. Get this: the Senate committee, uh, Senate Intelligence Committee, had announced that uh, the investigation into the twenty sixteen election had uncovered no direct evidence, no direct evidence of conspiracy between Trump and the and the, and, uh, and Russia. No direct conspiracy between Trump and Russia. Uh, both Democrats and Republicans, of course, admitted that, uh, you know, they agreed to the results. Of course, they, you know, the Democrats were spinning it in a different way, but um, that's what they found. No collusion. And here we go two days later on the 14th with CBS's Scott Pelley saying that former uh, deputy director and former FBI director Andrew McCabe, that McCabe told them, that, uh, you know, this top-level discussion, top-level staff discussion had taken place at the Justice Department about the removal of the, of the president. McCabe said that they considered whether the vice president and the majority of the cabinet would go along with the removal. They discussed it. Yeah, this is incredible, my friends. McCabe and other bureaucrats were ready to overturn a duly elected president and counter the will of the people only because they felt it was necessary because they in their elitist little minds had made the decision that Donald Trump was not capable, was not competent, was not worthy to be president of the United States. And obviously the people that had elected him didn't know what they were doing. You know, I, I've got to ask myself, my friends, what's the penalty? What's the penalty that will be faced by McCabe and his friends 
you know, this is treason, admitted treason. McCabe is out there selling books. What will, what, what, what will result from this? At the same time, while this was going on, my friends, the president, of course, was announcing that uh, there was going to be a, uh, that he was going to use emergency uh, powers. He was going to declare an emergent, a national emergency on the southern border to build a wall. Uh, I don't know how many of you saw the um, the uh, press conference from uh, the White House, but during the process, you had uh, Jim Acosta from CNN, you know, that clown from CNN, that pretend reporter from CNN. He, he asked the president um, uh, to verify if there was a, a, an immigration, to verify whether or not there was a real immigration crisis, illegal immigration crisis going on at the southern border because the statistics and the numbers he had seen didn't show it. You know, and the question that I have for Mr. Acosta is, A, how many illegals does it take to make a crisis? One, a hundred, a thousand. I mean, how many, how many, how many? You know, that's like asking how much murder, how much uh, uh, robbery is tolerable? You know, how much is it, Mr. Acosta? How much illegal immigration is tolerable in your view? So that so that we know what number it is, because then then we can we can wait till we get to that number and then we can call it a crisis. Of course, on the other hand, Mr. Acosta denies or refuses to, to acknowledge what what his eyes could see if they if he stood on the on the banks of the Rio Grande in the, in the McAllen sector and watched the number of people crossing or watched the number of people being apprehended by the Border Patrol or even more or so watch the number of people crossing the border and declaring claiming asylum how do you how do you determine you know whether or not these people truly are fleeing uh anything other than poverty in most cases and uh you know then determine whether or not they have uh they have a right for asylum it, it it's amazing my friends that 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 uh acosta would behave but see but again it is nothing short of the liberal media undermining america that's what it is undermining america then on the other hand you have another story coming out of um, out of new york where uh ocasio cortez alexandria ocasio cortez the socialist uh new york congresswoman um she was doing a happy dance because uh they were able to she was able to uh, scare off google who was going to bring something like 25,000 jobs into uh, into new york city she was able to scare them off with the protests and screams and yells and whatnot because of her socialist uh, economic point of view. She scared them off. And then afterwards, she was doing a, uh, a happy dance. You know, it shows the shallowness of socialists, the immaturity and uh, shallowness of socialists like Ocasio-Cortez. They don't seem to understand, my friends, that people always vote with their feet. That people with any amount of wealth, with any amount of wealth, will leave localities, will leave places that overtax or abuse them. People will do that. That is the history of the world. People moving because they are overtaxed or abused, either by the environment, <laughs> because a place turns into a desert, or because of a government, a dictatorship, a king whatever, when they are overtaxed and abused, overburdened, people pick up their wealth and they go. They pick up their belongings and they move. And who's left behind? The poor, the unproductive. They're the ones that are always left behind. And so what happens to that locale? What happens to that place? Instead of progressing, what happens to it? It's just basic knowledge. It's basic logic. It's basic economics. However, somebody like Ocasio-Cortez, who claims she has a, a degree, a, a master's degree in, in economics, apparently uh, doesn't understand that, just doesn't understand it. Let me close this segment, my friends. Let me close this, this section uh, or segment of our show, uh, pointing out some issues related to socialism, because socialism has become such a sexy thing for particularly the young people in America, particularly those that are vulnerable to our colleges and universities. Uh, you know, I have to fall back on my biblical learning, on my biblical upbringing. You know, the, uh, the parable of the talents is the thing that comes to mind when I think of socialism, because the parable teaches us several things. First of all, 
it teaches us that given freedom, that given a person's economic and personal freedom, it teaches us that success is a product of our own work, particularly, particularly if we have economic and political freedom. It also teaches us that God always gives us what we need uh, to do what we can to do what we want to do. It, God always gives us that freedom. Again, that freedom, if there is economic and political freedom, God has already given it to us. And we, uh, God has given us his freedom. You know, it just depends if the, uh, if the government and uh, the economy are free, we can accomplish. The third thing that, uh, that it teaches us is that, and this is a big one, this is a very big one, is that we are not all created equal. Some have greater talent, some have lesser talent. And, you know, the thing is that the master will reward us, that life will reward us, if you want to use that term. You know, if we want to protest how unfair life is, uh, you know, you've got, you, you're, you're, you're butting your head against the wall. You're butting your head against the wall because life is unfair. History is politically incorrect and life is unfair. Get over it. The other thing that it teaches us is that we work for life. We work for God. We work for our own, uh, for our, for our, our own well-being. Okay. It, we work for our own well-being. We don't, we are, we are not, you know, doing it just because life is mean. We, we're doing it for our own good. And finally, I, it teaches us that we are all held accountable for what we accomplish. We are stewards, as you would, as someone would say. But I think the big, big, big one in this whole situation, my friends, is, is that we are not created equal. We are not created equal. People scream and yell and cry because life is unfair. Well, I got news for you. Life is unfair. I am 5'8". I'm 65 years old. I would love to be 20 years old. I would love to be 6'7". I would like to be 6'8", so I could play basketball. I'd like to be uh, 6'8", 230 pounds, so I could play tight end for New England or Dallas. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm 65 years old. I'm 180 pounds I am five, eight, five, nine, maybe (laughs) life is unfair. Get over it. So I do what I can with my talents and I discover my talents. I seek new talents. I try to learn new things so that I can, so that I, I can be creator so that I can enhance my life. You know, unfortunately under socialism, the government determines the government creates, the government takes away. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, kids have got to learn. That's something that people have got to learn, that life, first of all, is not fair. That if you want, you make the government get out of the way, and then you create on your own. But you don't wait for the government to help you create. Oh, my gosh. That's where the problem is. Once again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP 930 AM, Radio The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador. And on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. You are invited to George's next speaking engagements. Tuesday, March 5th at 6.30 p.m., the Harlingen Tea Party at Harlingen Public Library, 410 North 7th Street in Harlingen. Wednesday, March 6th at noon at the Brownsville GOP Club at 3154 Central Boulevard in Brownsville. Monday, March 11th at 6.30 p.m. at the North Hayes County Republican Group at 230 Sports Park Road in Dripping Springs. And Wednesday, March 13th at noon at the Yoakum Area Republican Women's Club at the Yoakum Library in Yoakum. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, Please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. 
All right, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on KLUP. And uh, we've got a special guest with us, uh, Mr. Dave Ray, who is uh, the communications director for FAIR in Washington, D.C. And I wanted to reach out to um, to uh, Dave because there is a section, there is a provision, a section in the bill uh, for, for the um, funding that the president just recently signed that has some very, very big ramifications to it. And uh, it could cause us, uh, I think it will cause us some big problems. Um, let me welcome Bre- Dave. Dave, welcome to the show. And uh, please tell us, what is this section 220, 224A, I believe it's called, hey. in that for uh, having me on, George. It's always good to chat with you, and uh, good afternoon. This bill represents Washington, D.C. At, at its absolute worst. When you have a group of politicians going into a room for days on end that's uh, where the talks are closed to the public, and then they emerge with some thousand-page behemoth bill that is a must-pass bill because nobody wanted to the government close. It's a must-pass bill. They released it at midnight on February the 13th, and it was voted on Valentine's Day, February the 14th, both the House and the Senate. It was a must-pass bill that nobody had enough time to read. And like I said, it represents Washington at its worst and reeks of the swamp to high heaven. And we stumbled. So, so the next morning we come in after this bill was released, and it's just, you know, holding your breath for how many uh, bombshells there are going to be in this. We came across Section 224A. And in a nutshell, it's our fear that this section will trigger a historic rush of unaccompanied minors, which have been uh, coming in in unbelievably large numbers to the United States over the last several decades. But it's because of the presence of language that would prevent the removal of an illegal alien who is, quote, a sponsor, a potential sponsor, or member of a household of a sponsor or potential sponsor of, of an unaccompanied minor. I mean, what we are afraid of and what, what is very easy to see, and I'm sure a lot of the smugglers have seen this, is that if you have an unaccompanied minor residing, if you're a group of illegal aliens living in San Antonio and you're working, you know, day jobs and under the table, if you can get an unaccompanied minor to come live in the house with you, then it has basically become a safe house from immigration enforcement because that unaccompanied minor, by this new law, inoculates you against immigration enforcement because you may be uh, a potential sponsor or somebody who is connected to a potential sponsor. And uh, this has all the makings for, for a huge rush to the border. And what is so troublesome about this honestly, from the, from the public safety perspective, is that you know, these are children we're talking about, and they're easily taken advantage of. We've already had two young children who are coming over the border from Central America, and this is just going to cause just an onslaught of unaccompanied minor, minors, and it's going to produce a lot of human carnage in the makings because of how sloppy this, uh, sloppily this law was written. It's amazing. You know, uh, one of the things that I keep talking about is that if we're ever going to stop illegal immigration, we've we've got to stop excusing it and rewarding it. I mean, I, I personally worked in the Reagan administration on the um, uh, 1986 law. And I remember, you know, the battle that, uh, you know, because I was with, with the heritage folks at that point as well, arguing that, you know, amnesty was, you know, opening the door for amnesty later on. And here we are. It <laughs> amnesty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, ugly begets ugly, and that's really what we have here. So, you know, if you if you look, take the 30,000-foot view of this, we have, our, we have political asylum laws that basically state the threshold for gaining political asylum is so low that almost anybody can get it. And then because of court settlements and a, a law called TVPRA, which was to prevent child smuggling, which is something we could all get behind, but there are loopholes in those laws that, that, that for all intents and purposes say if you arrive with a child in tow, 
you cannot be detained for more than 20 days. And then the backlog of people who are awaiting court appearances is nearing a million cases at this point. You are released into the United States because the child itself cannot be held for more than 20 days. And then these folks simply disappear. And they are living elsewhere in the United States. Uh, some 30 to 40 percent of them never bother to even file the paperwork for their asylum claim. And another 30 to 40 percent of them never bother to show up for the court appearance. So they're living at large, eventually as illegal aliens. With these unaccompanied minors now, they are in, a, in for all intents and purposes, a safe house that can't be touched because of the passage of this of this bill. I mean, this is, like I said, we are located right on Capitol Hill. We are up to the swamp in our knees. And when this thing came by at midnight and had to be voted on the next day, you knew there was going to be a lot of people holding their nose to cast the votes because there was going to be a lot of uh, stink in this bill. And we've unearthed uh, this one here that's gonna is going to haunt us all, I think. So it, will there be any kind, do you think, there'll be any kind of attempt to verify whether this this child is a related to these people uh, or b really being supported by them or uh, you know uh, it, it like you said it could open up uh, the door for a lot of abuse it could be uh, you know the, these these kids could be nothing more than uh, than trinkets that are, are so, held so you know you could say all right I'm gonna verify that you're a sponsor because you are a genetic relative and we can we can verify that through gene testing or genetic testing. But then a member of a household of a sponsor or a potential sponsor, I mean, that basically inoculates everyone else in the house. That's right. Kind of enforcement. So yeah, how do you prove somebody isn't a member of a household of a sponsor or a potential sponsor? The onus is on the government to prove that you are not. And this is the type of language that really gets us in trouble. Uh, you know, obviously the, the settlement known as the Flores Agreement, they came to... Uh, say that, uh, you know, children can't be held for more than 20 days was intended, you know, to, we, don't, we don't want anyone, any children to be held indefinitely in custody, but it precludes us from holding children with their parents as family units once they hit the 20 days. I mean, the parents could be held until their hearing comes, but since they have a child with them, then they have to be released because we saw what kind of ruckus it caused when we were, quote, splitting up families. And really, that's all that was, was that law being enacted. But to give you an idea of the size of the problem, during the whole issue of the families being separated at the border, the, when it was on the cover of Time magazine, and and uh, there was, you know, everybody was uh, all stirred up about it, the Trump administration announced that there were currently 12,000 alien children being held by Health and Human Services, that's the organ, that's the uh, government agency that, that holds these kids, being held by Health and Human Services. 10,000 of them had arrived without any parents whatsoever. So it gives you an idea of the size of the problem, and now we've incentivized it by the passage of this law. And do you think you'll be able to get very many Democrats to retract this? Oh, of course not. I mean, you know, they, don't, they, won't, they refuse to address the asylum issue, uh, now they've got this uh, basic amnesty provision in here that's going to keep the government from deporting people. Trump was in a must-sign situation. We urged him to veto it, but clearly he had lost his appetite for closing the government. And uh, so now we have this law, and it is going to be a real humdinger for us to have to deal with, particularly for uh, interior immigration enforcement. You know, and you know when some of the inhabitants of the, of these um, places where there are unaccompanied minors have some sort of criminal record, uh, what are you going to do in that instance? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they could be members of MS MS thirteen or right. recruits of MS thirteen, and you're not going to be able to do too much about it. Right. I, I couldn't well, mention. You know, they um they they kept the government open, but at what price? And uh, so we uh, urged the president to veto it. Uh, it has a lot of other aspects of it that are unsavory as well. There are uh, prohibitions on where the wall can be built. For right. example, uh, some of these very some very liberal mayors along some of these border towns have veto authority whether or not a wall can be put up in their 
uh, jurisdiction. I mean, so if there's not a wall in one Texas border town, wonder where all the illegal aliens are going to be funneling through. I mean, the border patrol is going to have its hands full, right? That's exactly right. We have by one by, by one by one mayor. It also, you know, uh, reduces the daily detention spaces for ICE. And, I mean, it, it, it uh, increases H2B, temporary guest workers, not an increase that this country needed. Uh, we're already importing, you know, we have 1.1 million legal immigrants coming in every year. Most of those uh, are low-skilled workers already, so we're getting an inundation of low-skilled workers right. since our immigration policies are not based on merit. And now we have another increase in... Uh, this uh, budget bill. So they've they've created a real mess here, and uh, you well, know, like like you said, George, it's, it's anybody's guess how how we're going to how we're going to get ourselves out of this one. Yeah, like you said at the very beginning, this is Washington at its at its worst. Uh, uh, Dave, tell folks tell the folks about your organization before we close, and uh, okay, tell us tell us about Fair. Yeah, well, real Fair quick. is the nation's largest and oldest immigration reform organization. This is our fortieth anniversary. We were founded in 1979. We have 2 million members and supporters across the country. Our goal is to crack down on illegal immigration and to to rework our legal immigration system uh, so that it is uh, works in the national interest, to, to pivot the nation to a uh, legal immigration system that is merit-based and uh, is in the best interest of the nation. We've been at this, like I said, for 40 years. And if you'd like to find out more about us on the web, we're at fairus.org. Thank you, Dave. Once again, Dave Dave Ray with uh, Fair in Washington, D.C., and I thank you. Once again, my friends, George Lodigas, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP 930 AM, The Answer.